Today I've titled the message, Apostolic Resolve. And in order to understand chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, we need to go back to chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. And as I mentioned last week, that the context had to do with eating of food sacrificed to idols. This was a customary thing in the Roman Empire. They had many idols in those days, many, many gods, and they sacrificed to them. And then after sacrificing the food to them, particularly meat, and they would uh, distribute the parts, so sometimes the priests would have a portion, those who sacrificed would have portion, and those who came and joined them in the feast would have the portion, but the leftover, they would send them off to the meat market. And those meats would be redistributed and so forth. So you had the feast and you had the food from the market that you could actually purchase. But however it may be, people were engaging in this practice of eating food that was once sacrificed to idols. So what do you do with that? Is it tainted? Is it polluted? Is it demonized? There were all those notions. And Apostle Paul says basically, idols are nothing. Idols are not God. There's only one God. And that one God is revealed through Jesus Christ. And so, food does not bring us closer to God. Food does not remove us from God. It has to do with what we do with the food. We can always pray. We can always sanctify the food. And sometimes excise any kind of demonic sort of atmosphere that may be related to food. So he himself says, my conscience is clear. Nothing's wrong with food. That was one sacrifice to idols that has been prayed over re-sanctified to Christ, we can eat that. But, he says, there are those who are weak in their faith, thinking that that is tainted, and if they do eat this meat, then they're going to get demonized, or they're going to get polluted. So what do you do in a situation like that? Do I insist upon my right and my freedom to say, my conscience is clear, I can certainly eat this food, and I insist that you also eat the food, and you try to force that on people who have weak faith. And Paul says, not so. Because if they're doing something apart from faith, if they're doing it even against their own conscience, that would be sinning against their conscience, therefore sinning against God. So I will not be part of that. I will not cause stumbling to happen to those who are of weak faith. To a point, he says, I will not eat meat again. If I have to restrain myself so that my weak brothers and sisters will not fall. And then we started last week in chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Now, he's not only speaking as a Christian and the Christian freedom and Christian right 
to not be bound by some kind of legalism or superstition, but he's now bringing in this whole aspect of the apostolic right. I'm an apostle. I have seen Jesus Christ, and you are the evidence of the work of an apostle. You are the seal or proof of my apostleship. And he defends his right by saying that I have the right to receive salary from you, receive assistance from you. And the Bible seems to support this idea. And the other apostle seems to operate with this notion. And at the end of that argument, he says, I have all the right to receive salary or financial assistance from you, and yet I did not take advantage of that at all. I did not touch your money. I did not ask for money. And why did I not do that? Because I wanted such a detachment from any source of money or any issues that may cause you to question my motive so that I would use my freedom to fully preach the gospel without pay. This was Apostle Paul's position. But at the same time, he was defending all the other ministers who had the right to receive assistance from the church in terms of finances. And so today, we begin in verse 19. And Paul had something else to say about his apostolic right and apostolic restraint. And this is what we want to talk about. Did he just end with that? Did he just end with this notion? The reason why we have the freedom, and even though we have the freedom, we should restrain ourselves. Is that basically the end of his message? Is he just saying, you know, we have the freedom not to use our freedom? Is that his simple conclusion? Not so. Let's read from verse 19 to verse 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul says in verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So he advocates his freedom. He advocates his right. I am free. I'm not bound to anyone or anything. I'm free. And yet, as he had repeatedly said in chapter 8, I don't want to take advantage of this right if it becomes a stumbling block to the weak. So he knows how to restrain himself. 
I have all the right as an apostle, but I will not use that right. The right to gain financial support from you, I will not even take advantage of that. He's willing to restrain himself, but he takes it one more step and he says, actually, I have made myself a slave. The Greek word is doulos to everyone. He's not just saying that I have the freedom, but I restrain myself. Rather, he's saying, I have the freedom, I restrain myself, but more, I bind myself to commit myself to you as a slave to you. Why does he do that? Why is he saying that I'm willing to be your slave? I am certainly the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm also willing to be a slave to you. For what purpose? He says, to win as many as possible to Christ. To gain your heart. To gain your soul. To gain your favor. To gain the opportunity for you to be led closer and closer to Christ. And I will do everything in my power to draw you closer to Christ. He's willing to do that. So you see the pattern here? He had the freedom. He had the right. But he says, no, I will not take advantage of that. I will restrain myself. But I'll take it one more step. i bind myself to the others for the purpose of gaining the others to Christ. So he says to the Jews who are under the law, I became like one under the law. He was not under the law. He was not under this legal system. This is the rabbinic system. We're not just talking about the Old Testament law. The Jews, by the time of, in the days of Jesus and the apostles, they created this system, rabbinic system, and they got really meticulous. They had all the minute ways of interpreting the laws. All of that, I'm not under that system. And yet, I'm willing to be under that system in order to win those who are under that system. And what about those who are not Jews? The Gentiles. Well, I'm going to be like the Gentiles who don't understand the law. So even though I'm a Jew, I understand the law. But I'll be willing to think and operate like the Gentiles who don't understand the law. Why? So that I may gain them for Christ. And then he says, those who are weak. And you know, you always find those who are weak. Weak in their conscience. Weak in their spirituality. Weak in the, the customary ways of doing things. The unchurched people. The people who are uh, refusing to come into the institutionalized churches or denominational churches. We should be willing to identify with those who are weak so that we can win the weak. In verses 22 to 23, Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessings. So he's doing it for the practical purpose of making all opportunity for evangelism to happen. And the ultimate purpose of course, is sharing the gospel and sharing the blessings of Christ with others. 
We might call it saving of souls or sanctifying them to Christ. That's his obsession. That's his purpose. Now, in this context, we continue on from verses 24 to 27. If you don't understand this context, then you cannot understand this text in verses 24 to 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's go back to verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He talks about running here, and later on he talks about boxing or fighting. What is he referring to? And it is very clear that in context he is referring to something that was very common to the city of Corinth. Did you know that in Roman Empire, they had the main athletic event called the Olympics in those days? Olympic Games. They were started in, during the Roman Empire days. But in the city of Corinth, they were known for a particular regional game. It's known as the Isthmian game. Okay? And they held this game every two years. And this game was dedicated to Poseidon, the sea god. And so what Paul was familiar with when he thought about the city of Corinth was all these people who were training every two years for an event that was happening right there in the city. And so he saw all these runners constantly running all over the hills and all over the streets. He saw boxers, they were People competing against one another, boxing, and wrestling, and all these events. So he takes these ideas and concepts and he applies to spiritual training. It says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Training is important in Christian life. But the key to training is this, in verse 26, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, there's a focus. I realized that in uh, physical training, and uh, I remember my days when I was in track and field, I was a pole vaulter, and then I was involved in a little bit of gymnastics and martial arts and and then fencing. I was in a varsity fencing team during the college years. I knew a little bit about training. And in training, the key thing is focus. If you don't have focus, you're not going to be able to train well. You see all these people who, goes to, who go to work out, right? And they're taking a few laps around the, you know, the track. Or they're engaged in sort of martial arts type of training. If they don't have their focus right, it's, it's almost like they're kind of going through the motion. They're doing a few things in imitating others, 
but they're not going to be trained well. You have to focus. You have to understand what this is about, why I am doing this, and I have to set my goal, and I have to be driven to head towards that goal. So in training, focus is absolutely necessary. And then in verse 27a, Paul says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Now what is he saying? Some people think that Paul is advocating asceticism. He's, he's denying the, the body to liberate the source, so to speak. He's emphasizing dualism. But that's not the case. I don't think he's putting down the body. He's just saying that the body needs to come under control. Just like any athlete who has to master their body. They have to have a handle on their body. It's a self-mastery that they have to have in order to train, in order to compete. But the ultimate goal for Paul is found in verse 27b. So that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. He's thinking about the prize. That has to be the motivation. You might say, we should just exercise, we should just compete without expecting prize. We should just enjoy the game, you know. Good sportsmanship. But that's not necessarily biblical. In the Bible, there is an emphasis that we should run for the prize. We should go for the reward. But Paul is definitely not talking about some kind of materialistic gain. He's talking about the praise and the honor that Christ wants to bestow unto him. So he's saying, I want the praise and the honor that Christ has in store for me. That can be symbolized by the crown. Crown of victory. Crown of glory. But he's not looking for some materialistic, you know, golden crown with all these jewels. He's not into that. He's thinking about the honor that Christ has in store for him. And that's his goal. His goal. So let's go back to this pattern that Paul is advocating. We as Christians, and he as an apostle of Christ, Paul is saying, I have all the right, I have all the freedom. My conscience is clear. I just have Christ, and in Christ, I could be just, you know, soaring in the Spirit. I have all that freedom. But you know what? That freedom is not there for my own purpose. It's not there so that I can do whatever. No, I have to be conscious of others around me who are weak, who are sometimes even legalistic-minded, who are short-sighted. And we see a lot of those kind of people in the body of Christ. And for many of us who are gathered here, we may think that we are enlightened, and I believe that we are. We have had some of the best spiritual training. Uh, many of us, we have theological trainings. Actually, all of us, we have theological trainings. And uh, that's great. We believe in the Bible. We read other books to supplement that learning. We have all that. We are enlightened. And so, because we are enlightened, we see around us who don't seem to be enlightened. They seem to be in the dark ages. And they still seem to be operating with some kind of primitive notions of superstition or legalism. 
even Gnostic dualism. And we say, oh, heresy. Oh, that, that's, that's primitive. And that's legalistic. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to constantly be pointing our finger at them and judging them? Or if we think that we are better than them, if we think that we have something more than them, we have more light and revelation of Christ, then what should we do? That's what Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, well, I have the freedom, I have the right, but I'm willing to restrain myself. As a matter of fact, he says, not just restrain myself and say, okay, okay, I'll just be patient, I'll hold myself back. He says, no, I'll be bound. I'll be a slave to them if I have to. Why? He says, because most important thing is to gain their source, to gain their favor, gain their hearts, so that they can become possible disciples of Jesus Christ. This is Apostle Paul's goal. Now you may say, well, that's the apostolic goal. Yes, he has the apostolic resolve. That's the special apostle who has that. But you know the term apostle? The Greek term is apostolos. It simply means sent one. It simply means someone who has commission from Christ. Now, Apostle Paul had a very high calling, I believe that. In the first century, when he was not one of the twelve chosen disciples of Jesus, he had a particular special revelation from Jesus. And based upon that, he went all out to proclaim the gospel. He had a very special role in the first century, no doubt about that. But in one sense, he's no different from any one of us. Did you know that? Let me ask you this question. Are you called by God? You feel like you, you are called by God. Okay. Do you feel like God has some kind of mission for you in this life? Do you feel like God is sending you to do something? Maybe not right now, but sometime in the future, God is going to send you. That's what apostolos means. Someone who has been called by God and was sent with a purpose. As simple as that. There's no definition or description as to what that is. You may be called to do big things. You may be called to do small things. You may be called to go abroad. Or you may be called to do something right in your backyard. It doesn't matter because the term apostolic contains all of them. You may be familiar with a, a movement called missional movement or missionary church movement that happened right at the turn of the century. Actually, to be specific, it began in 1998 with a, a book that was titled Missionary Church. And uh, the whole idea behind this missionary movement concept is that it's not only those particular missionaries who are sent out there, but every single Christian, every single local church is called to be missional. And you know what the key word they were advocating? As they were basically lifting up this banner of missional movement, the key word is the word apostolos. Because that's what it means. An apostle is someone who is missional-minded. 
someone who has a mission to accomplish. So if you as a Christian, you feel that your heart and passion is to do the work of God, to do the mission of God, that has been assigned to you, then you are apostolic. And so this is not only for someone like Apostle Paul or the 12 apostles in Jerusalem. This lesson is for all of us. So as an apostle, you and I, we have the right. We have the freedom. We have the authority. We have everything in Christ. So if we think that we are that, then we must be willing to restrain ourselves for the sake of those who haven't come to that realization. Our freedom, our right, our authority is to serve others. So we must restrain ourselves for the sake of others to a point of becoming slaves of others. Now, I know that there are a lot of Christians who go around and say, I'm a slave of Christ, but I'm no slave to any man. That sounds very grand. But Paul didn't approach it that way. He says, I am a slave of Christ. I am no slave to any man. But I'm willing to be a slave to any man if I have to. Because I have dignity. I have honor. I have esteem in Christ. It's only those who have inferiority complex who are always questioning, like, I only belong to Christ. No man. And I don't have to serve you. You know, you wash my feet. I'm not going to wash your feet. And we lose this understanding of the mind of Christ or how even Jesus Christ and the apostles operate. So if we are truly apostolic, then we must use our right, our freedom, our authority to restrain ourselves, even to debase ourselves for the sake of others. For what purpose? To gain them. To gain their favor. To gain their heart. To gain their soul. And this is the resolve that we must have. This is the the determination that we must have in our hearts. Without this determination, without this drive, there's no way we are going to be able to succumb to others. We'll always think about having leverage on them, ruling them, and dominating them instead of serving them. So let us go back to this text and let me just read it for you once again the whole text, and I hope you can understand this context much better. Beginning with verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one. That's very clear. I'm no slave. I'm a free man. Yet I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? Because I'm a slave of Christ. And Christ, he was willing to be a slave to others as well. For what purpose? To win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. 
And that's, he's being very realistic. He's not going to be able to save everyone. Not everyone's going to open up to that. But he's willing on his part to submit to that. So that there is a winning possibility, a chance that these people may open up to the gospel and give us favor. Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings. This is his passion. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings. That dominates his mind. That dominates his motives. That's his apostolic resolve. And you can see that in the way he talks about this athletic analogy. Beginning with verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make him my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So being apostolic means being an athlete of Christ. How many of you appreciate, um, you know, we, we just are in Olympics right now, Winter Olympics, right? I'm watching some of these events as well, but how many of you appreciate athletic events? Olympics, for example. I do. I really appreciate all kinds of sports because I see so much parallel the sports events and Christian life. And Paul is saying those who are on a mission, those who have been commissioned by Christ, those who have certain purpose in Christ here on earth, we have to be like athletes. We have to have that solid sense of focus we have to have a sense of self-mastery. We have to be constantly in training. We have to be accountable before the Lord. And what is that we are being held accountable for? It's preaching the gospel. Bringing people to Christ. Winning their hearts, winning their souls to Christ. Leading them closer and closer to Christ. And like Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to do anything for that primary purpose. The question that I would like to lay before you and to myself as well is, are you willing to do anything for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to be a slave to others to win them to Christ? Are you willing to humble yourself and identify with these people who are less than you, less enlightened than you, less apostolic-minded than you? Or are you always going to place yourself, me included, place myself in the seat of a judge being critical of others? And thereby creating such a gap between that others and myself when I am 
exactly that person who can be the bridge to lead them to Christ. Now, we have to understand this is Apostle Paul talking. This is not just any Christian with an idealistic notion talking. This is Apostle Paul talking. And he's gone through so much in life. And he's being persecuted by these Corinthians. By the Judaizers. And by the pagans. By those who are unsanctified. By those who are prideful and arrogant. And he says, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to serve everybody. To gain them. For the sake of the gospel. That's what it means to have the resolve like an apostle. And like I said, we all are like apostles. I don't want to use the term noun term, apostle. I'd rather use the adjective term, apostolic. We are all called to be apostolic or missional in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.